0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time. But the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact Cordell, Cordell Cordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to another episode of The Bird Calls. I'm your host and contributor to TheBirdRights.com. And joining me today, oh, I forgot to say my name. I'm Preston Ellis, by the way. Joining me today is our editor-in-chief, Mr. Ali Cosell, the swirling rumor man himself. How is your kitchen coming along?
1: It is non-existent right now. <laughs> I uh, unpackaged a bunch of boxes today. Our cabinets had to remove some flooring. Uh, but it's all ready to be put together. Just need to have somebody do it. <laughs> No, they're they're on their way. We should we're like three weeks. I think they they gave me about three week time frame. I'm
0: Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell and Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com. 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404.
1: So, today, by the way, I have to mention that I made a salad. We were desperate to eat at home. So, guess where I washed the salad? In the shower. So, if you ever watched uh, Seinfeld, and you oh saw my God, you
0: put vegetables in the shower. That's what it reminded me of.
2: Oh, that's, that's
0: disgusting. disgusting. And you guys have heard uh, now from Crescent City Sports, our friend David Grubb, whose daughter has a big swim meet coming up this week. And uh, congratulations to you, sir! That's really cool. How do you think she's going to do? I think she's going to do well. She's been working
2: very hard. And uh, the funny thing is, you know, since I am a writer, my my wife and my daughter both have me write up her swim meets every week and post them on Facebook. So she she looks forward more to the the write ups and the interviews. Post swim meet right now than she does uh the results sometimes
0: all right let's dive right on it right on in you guys uh of <laughs> course uh yeah i i didn't need to touch any more on uh i don't i don't know uh <laughs> yeah young young people swimming we had a couple of jokes off air about hanging out with a lot of guys who like to shave their bodies so that's the kind of company she's <laughs> keeping right now she's being exposed to all sorts of things in her young adolescence but i'm glad that she has you david to pilot her through the right path through life you seem like you're a really good dad. <laughs> So everything's going to just just turn up roses. I'm sure she's going to win her competition. I think it's the 100yard the uh, freestyle. Is that what she's doing, or is she doing?: She's, a- she's in three events, 100yard uh, freestyle relay, 25-yard uh, freestyle,
2: and the 25yard uh, backstroke.
0: Nice. All right, let me save myself by transitioning out of here. You yes. guys, uh, there were some big news last night involving the trade of Austin Rivers for Marcin Gortat of the Washington Wizards. But even more recently than that, I was planning on talking about Rajan Rondo a bit later in the podcast because we haven't had any news on him in quite a while. But Ali uncovered a tweet from John Gamadaro and I'll, I'll bring up his credentials, but he's got that highly coveted blue check mark to go with 45,000 followers. So that means he's legit. And he says, that Rajon Rondo wants two years and 16 million dollars Ali how much validity do you give to this report I asked him about a source he said he couldn't disclose how much validity do you uh do you give to it obviously Rajon Rondo is not going to go anywhere the New Orleans Pelicans aren't going to look or explore any other avenues there's not much out there in terms of availability anyway so what 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 happens from this point forward, Ali? Do they meet in the middle at somewhere around that two years, twelve million dollars, or do you think he might possibly earn the full mid level exception?
1: Yeah. Well, first I just want to mention that John's actually a legit source, even though he uh, works for a radio station. I've followed this guy for the last several years, and he's uncovered some stuff that nobody has, not even like Woj, for instance. So he's plugged in the scene, whether it's solely through uh, other agents or he knows some team personnel. But I think you, can, uh, you don't take this with a grain of salt. I think there's a lot of validity to it. But the thing is, at this time of season, of course, you're going to have agents and players asking for what they think their uh, client deserves. Um, and so this shouldn't be a surprise. You know, this could be, like I surmise, it's either – um, the Pelicans are – or it's an effort to extol a little bit more money out of the Pelicans, or it's just simply going to be the cost to Laura Rajon Ronda, who seems awfully happy being here. You know, he found success. He found a winner. He found a home. He just really wanted to be loved. And you just saw kind of that bond form with – especially with Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis that goes out the season. So you got to think he wants to come back. Um, so, the, you know – but to answer your question, Preston, though – I think that no, I do not expect the Pelicans to have to pony up like around the full MLE, which is what it sounds like it would be if it was to be for two years, sixteen million. Because as we know, the MLE next year is going to be around eight point six. So maybe I'm thinking, let's say a couple million less. You know, let's hope for he, you know, agreed to a deal that's worth about maybe six or seven million dollars per season, and that will at least give the Pelicans enough room to maybe lure somebody else just uh, slightly above the veteran minimum salary.
0: David, uh obviously everybody should get the money that they feel that they deserve and I feel, I think you can argue that Rajan Rondo is worth every bit of that contract. I know some others may debate or argue against that, but just based on his performance in the playoffs alone coupled with his per 36 11 11 7 and I think two steals uh, in the regular season, uh, he was no slouch either. But are you kind of surprised that a guy who's so desperate to win a competitor, he knows how hamstrung the Pelicans are at this juncture uh, financially, even should they uh, decide to let DeMarcus Cousins walk? That's really their only avenue to add talent outside of some kind of difficult trade that would have to involve Solomon Hill and Alexis Agensa, by all accounts. Are you surprised that he wants the full mid-level?
2: No, I'm. I'm not surprised because I think what happens – is all these things if you're going to negotiate, I'd start as high as possible. And and that's what Rondo's doing here. He has he knows he has limited bargaining power. So at least he has to start at saying, Well, I want all of this. Because the, the organization has said, if we're building a champion, we'll go into the luxury tax, we'll pay that money. Well, if I'm Rajon Rondo, I'm saying, Well, are I worth that then? Because if I'm looking down the roster and I'm seeing Etwan Moore making eight million plus, and I'm seeing Solomon Hill making 12 million plus, and I'm seeing Alexia Jensa making five million plus, no, it's not his fault and it's not you know and it's not those players' fault that that's what they're getting paid. But if you're Rondo and you know your value in this situation, and the, you're running out of contracts in your career, you have to leverage it as best you can. And I think the number will probably end up somewhere. I've said twelve to thirteen million over two years. You know, I think it'll end up closer to that. But I wouldn't if I I don't blame him or his agent for starting out and saying, give us, give us all of it.
0: Now, the biannual exception is something the Pelicans could seek to utilize this season. However, that, uh, again, keeps them from being able to utilize it in the summer of 2019, when they could be set to reload with uh, Aginsa as an expiring. And who knows, at that point, Solomon Hill might become more movable. And it'll be the final year of each Moore. They'll be seeking to re-sign Nico Meretic. Is, is the biannual exception more important now to the Pelicans, Ali, or next summer?
1: I think it's definitely now, because... Um, I don't think any of us that we've you know we've been talking amongst ourselves have thought that Rondo would be willing to accept his non-bird rights exception, which is hundred and twenty percent um of his last year's salary. So in essence, his three point two million earned would be about three point nine. And you know, that's a really small figure. In essence, you're asking him to take a pay cut on last year, where he made roughly six point three, if you count in, of course, not only his Pell salary, but what uh, it cost us chicago bulls to buy them out which was around three million so no Preston, i'm I'm, not i don't see any way how that the biannual isn't more important this season because there's so many holes in this roster we've got to sign players and being over the cap you're only stuck with the exceptions that the pelicans have the trade exceptions or any uh the other exceptions provided by the um cba bargaining agreement so I mean, I honestly think they'll utilize it if they um, – now, you've got to also factor in DeMarcus Cousins. If he does come back and re-signs with the Pelicans, you're going to be bumping bumping your head awfully close to that luxury tax line. And so suddenly, you, you've you got an issue on spending that MLE and the uh, biannual pressing because you can't use that non-taxpayer for $8.6 million to mid-level and then also the biannual for three point nine because you're not allowed to go over the apron, you know – Just as there's a floor where teams that aren't um, above the salary cap don't have these uh, exceptions used, you also can't go too high and then use these exceptions either. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly what turns out because, you know, the Pelicans need to sign a bunch of players. So, of course, they're going to need these exceptions. But will they be available? I think that's the bigger interesting story here.
0: And should the Dallas Mavericks uh, renounce their rights to Dirk Nowitzki and negotiate some kind of compromise with him, the Mavericks can clear as much as 26 million. So that's the highest, uh, as far as I know, that they can offer Demarcus Cousins. So if the Pelicans should match that, where would the Pelicans be sitting financially with Demarcus Cousins making 26 million in his first year with the Pelicans?
2: I mean, just that's again, that's not counting Rondo. And you still yeah. have, you know, so you're talking about at 26, they'd be around, what, one, one
0: three, one one twenty three. They're at uh, ninety three right now before the guaranteed contracts of right. like a mecca for a check deal on Frank Jackson. So that puts them. We're all going to do math on air right now for you guys. You're welcome. At about so 115. one fifteen. OK, one, yeah, <laughs> I think whatever. <laughs> it's going well for you guys. So yeah, that's going to put them in a tight spot. Let's let's go over to Grubb and talk uh, more about the, the season-ending press conference when Del Demps and Alvin Gentry were so adamant. They they talked about continuity, uh, and they also said, we definitely want Rondo back. That was a direct quote from Del Demps. When they both discussed DeMarcus Cousins, they said, in a perfect world and the unpredictability of free agency. Did they kind of tip their hand and put a lot of power in Rajon Rondo's court by using those quotes, Grub? Well,
2: I think they knew ultimately that financially the commitment to Rondo is so much less than Demarcus Marcus that they could feel comfortable in saying that, you know, we have to have him back. Uh, so there is no plan B in point guard. You know, who? where do they go? They don't have the money to get an elite point guard at this stage. And then they don't have the assets to trade for one. So Rondo is plan A, B, and C for them at point guard. Uh, they don't want to move Drew Holiday back on the ball so rondo had this leverage going in and i think that the pelicans have been uh conversing with him quite frequently and letting him know what their position is he knows what he can get and it's just going to be rounding those edges but yeah i mean you know you, you look at it from that perspective and it's just there's no way that you can that there could possibly be any more leverage given um in either direction i don't think for for, for those guys
0: Anything you want to add to that,
1: Ollie? No, I fully agree with David about that. Rondo had all this leverage once the Pelicans start playing really well with him at the helm. So, um, and of course, there is absolutely, I mean, that's the biggest point. The Pelicans have nowhere else to turn. And you don't want to put all that on back on Drew Holiday's shoulders after the season we just saw him have by playing a lot
0: off the ball. Yeah, definitely. Now, the big news last night transitioning away from Rajan Rondo was the trade announced by Adrian Wojnarowski uh, taking place between the Washington Wizards and the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, the reason we're bringing this up is because this could potentially directly involve uh DeMarcus Cousins and the New Orleans Pelicans the trade of course was Austin Rivers the former 10th overall pick of the Pelicans the same year they selected Anthony Davis at number one now this is interesting because now the Washington Wizards are without a starting center they've got Ian Mahimney and Jason Smith they're probably going to try to unload those guys until they finally do someday Jason Smith isn't expiring so it shouldn't be that difficult but there's a void there And Los Angeles, so too, now has two starting centers in Marcin Gortat and DeAndre Jordan. The report went on further with Adrian Wojnarowski that whether or not DeAndre opts in, the Clippers will be moving on from him. He was very definitive in that. He said they will be moving on from him either at the February trade line or preferably before. In addition to the possibility of DeAndre moving to Dallas Washington need needing a center we've got some questions from Waka Waka Wakanda does the Gortat Rivers trade affect the Pelicans game plan Ron Ash says gut feeling Boogie will be signed and traded to Washington and if he's traded will it be for Porter or Kelly Oubre we've got a dozen more of these questions from Andrew Juge does this auto Porter for Boogie rumor have any legs and if so how do you feel about it Ali what does this trade specifically mean for Boogie and the Pelicans
1: Put in layman's terms, get a sign and trade accomplished with Boogie uh, to anywhere, but let's obviously talk about the Washington Wizards. There's probably at least about 20 to 25 different hoops you got to jump through. We just saw the first one. So, in essence, yeah, okay, so we're maybe on track for this to happen, but you know what? For it to become a realization, there has to be so many more things that happen first. So, while, yeah, Washington's suddenly in search of a center, you've got to realize that Gortat only averaged about 25 minutes a game last year. And as we all know, centers just don't have that allure anymore. You don't want to throw big money at these guys because most of them do not fit the modern mentality of playing fast, being able to be a two-way player, be versatile on defense, and be able to shoot the rock. So while again, DeMarcus suddenly looks like a you know, like like he there's a home suddenly created there. I'm not buying that this means as much. And you know what? One thing I didn't see anybody talking about yesterday was the fact that, hey, guess who was almost, I think, John Wall's biggest critic, you know, last couple years. It was Gortat. So you know his end in Washington was coming um, relatively soon, if not now. And, of course, now just happened. So maybe that's all Washington really was trying to accomplish, you know. Let's get this guy who, you know, posed the biggest disruptive force to Wall in the locker room. And, uh, you know, they did need maybe another ball handler. We don't know what their plans are, you know. It is kind of unusual seeing Rivers there when they've got Saturansky, when they've got Beal, when you've got Wall already there. So that's a lot of different guys who like to have the ball in their hands, and that can't be the plan either. But, yeah, long story short, Preston, yeah, DeMarcus Cousins, a sign-and-trade, it's still on the table. Washington obviously didn't do something that suddenly – Basically ends any potential of this deal happening, but like I said, there's still so many other things that need to be worked out with uh, Demarcus Cousins signing a salary. Then Washington needing to be able to get the space to take him in, and as we know, there's special rules in signing trades um, when when it comes to an amount of Demarcus Cousins when he's about to earn a whole lot more money than his 18 million next year. It suddenly kicks in all these extra provisions that need to be met. So, yeah, I mean. I, it's not a definitive answer, the trade we just saw happen between Rivers and Gortat. No.
0: I'm gonna ask you, Grub, the same question. We had a tweet directly after this happened from Kyle Kuzma, and all it said was first domino. Do you think he's referencing DeMarcus Cousins, LeBron James, or do you think he's just trying to stir the pot? Oh, I think he's just talking about, you know, this the
2: off-season, the, the free agency and and trade season. Um, you know, this is his first offseason as a professional, so he's getting to watch the feeding frenzies um, go down. And I think people are, in my opinion, a little over-ramped because I don't think there will be as many moves as people are anticipating. I think it's going to be a slower offseason with more players opting into their deals um, where they have to because the market is just so um, poor. Um, But, uh, you know, I I don't think that anything is done. I still think Washington's a, a long shot in this Uh, in the competition Um, I think with Dallas you know I look at that and and I still you know uh, for Gortat obviously that was to replace DeAndre Jordan they're anticipating him being gone but I don't know if Dallas is still the spot because Mark Cuban wants a star and DeAndre Jordan for whatever he is he's not a star and um, you know DeMarcus Cousins is that even a Clint Capella deal, deal seems more likely for Dallas to me than DeAndre Jordan So, um, you know, the team that, again, I I, I threw out earlier today is the dark horse, and you you guys all mocked me, and I understand why, because I have no basis in it, is thinking that, you know, LeBron stays in Cleveland, and that the darkest horse now is like the Cavs for an assignment trade for DeMarcus. But it doesn't, there's no logic behind that. I have no reasoning behind it. It's just a gut that I feel like that is a scenario that could play out, and to me feels more likely than even Washington. But um, I would think that's a long shot, too.
0: Ali, going back to Dallas, they're going to land a center, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. Of course, he's he's talked about them flirting with Julius Randle, as well as Aaron Gordon and Jabari Parker. But the three guys they have to be locked in on are Clint Capella, DeAndre Jordan, and DeMarcus Cousins. At this point in time, who do you think is the likeliest candidate to end up in Dallas? DeAndre
1: Jordan. I trust the people that seem to know and are on the in uh, regarding uh, the Mavericks' intentions. And they seem to not think it's going to be DeMarcus. That's why I wrote what I wrote, what was it, about a week ago, I guess, on um, kind of feeling safer that DeMarcus isn't going to be their target after seeing that Luka Doncic uh, um, pick by the Mavericks where they traded up and gave away a future first rounder just to get him. I just think it makes all the sense in the world that you've kind of now got your core. Um, You've kind of got the guy, your franchise player. And you know what? DeMarcus Cousins has always thought of himself as a franchise player. I mean, we, David and I saw it in the locker room with the Pelicans. He walked in. It's not like he tried to take the mantle from Anthony Davis, but it just comes natural to him. And so when it comes in, the game situations, talking the reporters, it's, it, it's just something he does. And I'm not sure the Mavericks want that. Like I said, now that they've kind of wanting to pass that torch from Nowitzki to Donich that everybody's been writing about and talking about. So, and then of course you've got to factor in beforehand. They want a defensive center. They need to protect the paint. They need a big rebounder. And DeMarcus, okay, even when he's healthy, doesn't really help you out, if at all, uh, defensively. And, of course, rebounding, all all the other things that the Dallas Mavericks are going to need next year, and they want to be winners. They want to make the playoffs starting next year. DeMarcus can't do it because he's going to be limited in coming back uh, slowly from this Achilles injury. So I don't see any way that the Mavericks are going to, pony up say eighteen to twenty million plus for DeMarcus. Unless they get a super steal and they strike out on Capella and DeAndre Jordan, that's the only way that they would sign Boogie. But otherwise, Preston, it's easily DeAndre Jordan's number one. Um, but Capella would be number one if I feel like if they think they have a chance of stealing him from Houston. Because I
2: mean, you know, if they max out, if they max out Capella on an offer sheet, you're you're trying to make it almost impossible for Houston to sign LeBron.
1: Yes, Because if
2: Houston matches Capella and Dallas offers a full, you know, their highest offer and puts a poison pill in there or something and, you know, and Chris Paul gets his max extension, there's no way that the Rockets can find a way to get the 30 million it's going to take to bring LeBron, LeBron to Houston. So, I mean, that's why I think Capella would probably be, if you're Mark Cuban, you sure don't want to see LeBron in another division. So, I mean, I, I think, like, Capella to them is something that at least there's a win-win in making that offer first. Because if you get him, you get a, a guy that you really like who's younger than Jordan and does most of the things that Jordan does as well, if not better. And then you keep LeBron out of Houston's hands if they decide to retain him.
0: Now, Ali, this, this presents uh, another, I guess, quandary for DeMarcus Cousins and his camp. Now it appears that there's only one suitor suitor left for DeMarcus Cousins and his talents, and we've seen some reports, uh, something that I talked about in my article I want to say on Monday morning about the LeBron James situation being a bit murkier than everybody probably suspects, and of course I could be wrong, maybe by the time this podcast goes up, we see that he's that he's opted out and he's agreed to go to Los Angeles, but at this moment in time, Three major different news outlets, I think it was Adrian Wojnarowski, Ramona Shelburne, and I'm forgetting the third, but all came out with the same story at the same time, meaning that it probably came from LeBron's camp, but just that there was pushback from LeBron to join the Lakers and opt out of the final year and $35.6 million of his deal, unless the Los Angeles Lakers were able to acquire another superstar. Now we know they've hit a roadblock. With the law, uh, with the San Antonio Spurs, Ramona Shelburne reported that they they basically brickwalled him. So the only other possibility is Paul George, and I outlined in my article about why it's it's actually quite possible that he could just return to Oklahoma City. Of course, they can offer him a fifth year and probably potentially forty six million more. Plus, he likes playing with Russell Westbrook. He feels like the Oklahoma City organization has treated him with respect, and by all accounts, he likes it there. So could DeMarcus Cousins become, oh, I forgot one more point. Magic Johnson came out today and said, if I don't bring in a superstar in the next two years, I'm going to resign. So all these arrows are now pointing to potentially Los Angeles chasing after DeMarcus Cousins. Do you see that as uh, something feasible that could occur in the next week, Ollie? Nope. I I just don't. I I don't think there's going to be a
1: market, honestly, for DeMarcus Cousins unless it's going to come for a super cheap value. In fact, I think the Pelicans – will offer him the most and it's not going to be out of any loyalty. Well, actually it is going to be kind of out of a loyalty because let's face it if you're bringing him back you want to make the situation work and you don't want to bring back a player and then he plays out of spite and we kind of saw what happened with that with Dante Cunningham last last season. Uh, this guy came in he just didn't seem to care nearly as much and all this production was down. So you definitely don't want to you know suddenly pay, you know, 18 million or whatever 19 million to the Marcus cousin he comes in he's suddenly a disruptive force uh and he's not producing on the court because let's face it he can't he's going to be rehabbing all season long so no Preston I don't see any other team really chasing Demarcus, and I think honestly I feel like that's the vibe we've even gotten from him in social media he's been caught wearing a lot of Pelicans gear he's been a lot more positive he hasn't been um Let's say um, I don't want to say getting into it with uh, fans or anything like that, but but he's really laid low, and he you know he seems to be concentrating on his rehab. I feel like he knows where he's going to be going. Honestly, I feel like it's kind of already played out for a lot of these free agents. I honestly do think LeBron's going to end up in LA, and I think DeAndre Jordan is either going to become a Laker or he's going to end up with the Mavericks. So, but with Cousins, no, I think he's 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 for me. It's like I honestly feel like it's ninety percent. He's gonna be back with the Pelicans present. And they're not gonna they're not gonna really um not lowball him too much. I, I really think he's gonna get what's gonna be a fair contract built with a ton of incentives uh for about what two two plus one type of type of deal that it's gonna make both parties kind of feel good about the whole situation.
0: Grub, uh LeBron called. DeMarcus Cousins, the best big man in the NBA, I want to say about a year and a half ago. And Magic Johnson didn't call him the best, best big man, but he called him the most offensively skilled big man in the NBA. Do you, do you think there's even a hint of possibility that Los Angeles even enters a bidding war? No, no. I mean, you know, for Magic,
2: what he's thinking about is healthy superstars. I mean, I, I, and I'm not trying to say that to be funny, but the Lakers can't bet, and they have never bet on guys coming in off an injury. Uh, and I think that they can't afford to do that. They, tr- they tried that with Dwight Howard. They tried that with Steve Nash. And when those things didn't work, you know, it, it, you set your franchise backwards when you when you make those reaches. Um, so I, I don't think that they want to have be tied to DeMarcus and then have him not be able to complete it and the Lakers be in the position of having this very expensive malcontent. Uh, you know, because if Mar- DeMarcus can't play, he's not going to be happy. And he's going to be a target. And Los Angeles is not the place where you want to do that. So I just don't see, yeah, I'm like, Ollie. I don't see the market being huge for DeMarcus unless he just absolutely goes to the Pelicans and says, I will refuse to play for this number. Get me out of here. And I just, I don't see where there are these tons of places for him to go to and leverage. And I certainly don't think Los Angeles is one of them.
0: All right, let's rule out the last possibility of the Washington Wizards. Uh, Ali, we talked to death. Kevin had a great article about uh, a trade that could be instituted without uh, including uh, Otto Porter Jr. He had the inclusion of Kelly Oubre Jr., uh, Thomas hadransky Austin Rivers, Jason Smith, and that came out uh, to be around $27 million, but – Austin Rivers is making about a million and a half less than Marcin Gortat was, somewhere around 1 million. And while that number might not seem significant with where the Wizards are cap-wise, they're they're already well into the tax, they're at somewhere around 136.5 million, uh roughly estimating that. So basically the my question to you Ali, is there any way this trade takes place that does not involve Otto Porter Jr.?
1: I honestly don't think so, because for the Wizards, then what you're thinking about is well, suddenly after next season, going to be making what, like 40 million. And then you've got Brad Bill making a huge salary. You've got DeMarcus Cousins making a huge salary. And then you, you, you still want to pay Porter roughly, what, 25 million? I don't see it happening. So I honestly think that if Cousins or any big free agent comes to Washington, one of those three have to go. And it just seems like Porter's the one because he's the least valuable of the three players. Again, it, we don't know. Maybe there's some inner workings going on. Like, you know, we've all heard there's some shade sometimes being thrown between Wall and Beal. So maybe one of those two have to leave. But until I hear otherwise, until we hear more concrete stuff, no, I think it's going to be Porter that's got to leave. It would be great to dream of that package of Ubre and Satoransky getting a lot of good young pieces that are a lot more cost um, efficient on a salary cap. But no, I think it has to be Porter Preston.
0: Uh, those three players that you mentioned, Porter, Beal, and Wall, in the next two years, not this season, the next two years, are going to combine to make $193 million. Uh, Grub, let's try to talk you into something. Should DeMarcus Cousins decide that he did want to go to Washington? And you can also rule that out as a possibility at this point, as, as all indicators suggest that he's coming back to New Orleans. But should the Wizards try to offload Otto, Otto Porter Jr., they need to include more salary to to create some room to just bring in some veteran level guys. Uh, there's rookie Troy Brown Jr. There's Thomas Saturanski. There's Jody Meeks, uh, Jason Smith. What kind of package would you be looking for at that thirty million dollar mark? Like an additional five million dollars from the Wizards that would encourage you to pull the trigger on this? I mean, I'd
2: want Saturansky. Um, You know, I know Kevin's talked about him a ton, and then you just go back and you watch the Pelicans can use another person who can facilitate the basketball. And Satoransky is very, very good at that. So um, if, if you're going to make me take on Otto Porter, who also has an injury history, and we're swapping these two guys, then I want somebody who I think can can step in and be a starter if necessary. And then with my second unit, I know that I have far fewer concerns about the ball stopping uh, because I may not be able to find that on the free agent market. I mean, at the salaries that I can offer. So that's what what I would have to have back is Satoransky.
0: All right, I'm going to put you guys on the spot. I'm going to start with Ali. Uh, so sorry in advance. This question is from Big Is 23, and he's asking specifically, looking at the advanced stats after the Cousins injury, how did Etwan Moore's net rating improved? It seemed like he would be a perfect fit to Cousins with his skill set. We've also got some questions along the vein of. Uh, how how fast do the Pelicans play with DeMarcus Cousins? Some questions about, about Darius Miller. Uh, we've been talking enough about whether or not he's going to come back. Let's start talking, Ali, about the way that he makes his teammates better. Well, first of all,
1: I don't think you want to take into consideration just the net rating because as a whole, the entire team played a lot better from February 10th on. That's once. Uh, Nikola Miritich was acquired, and this was after that lull the Pelicans suffered upon uh, DeMarcus going down, you know, where they lost, what was it, like six or seven games or something like that. That's where they finished, obviously, with that, uh, I guess, what was it, 20 wins in their last 20 games? 28, yeah. Yeah, so that, that net rating, while, I mean, it, you, you can specifically look at one player and see that was higher than what it was when, with DeMarcus. You can say that, I think, for almost every other person on that roster that still played outside of maybe one or two So that's not what you want to go by. What you want to really think about and notice is how the offense, how the defense and the offense has changed and how uh, players' roles change. For Etuan Moore specifically, when the boogie was playing, he was kind of on the fourth, fifth man pecking order list where he honestly was just a spot-up shooter. If the ball was swung around to the weak side and um, either had an open shot or an ability to create, that's when he kind of got involved offensively. But otherwise, he kind of just sat there and watched uh, DeMarcus do his thing which a lot of the plays, as you guys remember, ran through the marks at the top of the key somewhere in that area. And then he was always looking for AD on the block. And then, of course, you had Drew cutting around um, on the baseline as well. So the offense was entirely different. So roles were a lot different. So each one more didn't have that impact. But what it helped, uh, and I hope people realize this, is the shooting percentages of a lot of the Pelican shooters We saw Darius Miller have that November where he shot over 50% from three. Then each one did it into December. So when the uh, opposing defenses are suddenly having to concentrate on uh, studs, you know, the Pelicans rightfully so had three studs. You can name them. Drew Holiday basically came into his own December on. Um, Then suddenly you've got to leave these role players wide open. So that's why I think you saw them shoot at a lot higher, a lot more stellar rates, but Of course, then everything else, like you said, the net ratings, everything went up once he went down because they suddenly had to contribute a lot more across the board.
0: All right, Grub. Let's send the same thing to you. Let's talk a bit about how he makes players like Darius Miller and Etwan Moore better. And should he should he come back, which we all expect he will, the first thing we're all going to be looking uh, at his first month back is his number of turnovers. Do you think there's mm-hmm. any way we can minimize that from his? I, I think it was about five turnovers per game, pretty whopping number. Uh, what what is he going to have to do to minimize those numbers?
2: Well, I think the the first thing that he has to be committed to do is that the ball can't stop for him to assist Hunt, that the play can never be DeMarcus hold the ball, and he needs to understand that that's not how the offense works anymore. Uh, I think a lot of the trouble he gets into is that he physically believes that he can make any throw, any pass uh, to any player at any time. He's, you know, we, wa- we would watch him throw post-entry passes to Anthony Davis from beyond the three-point line, and that's just not going to work you give far, there's too much distance to, you know, to cover with that pass. But DeMarcus feels like he can do those things or he would, it would be, you know, trying to take guys off the dribble late in the clock and forcing a pass into the lane. If he can understand that the best assists he gets are from swinging the ball and getting it around back to, to an Etwan or a Darius Miller in the corner or finding, you know, Drew um, once that defense is rotated so he can drive to the basket. If they can get him to understand that, then I think he can be much more effective. If he can play more of like a Mark Gasol or a Jokic as far as his passing goes, just looking for guys who are cutting and moving and then letting it go if it's not there, getting it back to your guards. Um, I, I believe he has the talent, obviously. I mean, I, I think none of us would question his talent. And I, I think watching, hopefully, um, you know, gave him an understanding of just how good the offense could be with the philosophy. I think... You know, as DeMarcus is committed to the philosophy, and that was obviously a conversation that we've had on Twitter this week is about philosophy versus, you know, commitment to it. If DeMarcus buys into that, then he can be very effective and continue to get assists, but he doesn't have to get 10 assists to be an exceptional passer out of the post. And I don't think the Pelicans need him to get 10 assists. There may be nights where he does that, but I'd like him to see maybe more of a Draymond Green type where you're getting five assists a night, Six assists a night, but they're coming within the flow of the offense rather than them saying create these assists.
0: All right, Ali, let's uh, go over to some breaking news. Michael Shadow of The uh, Athletic. Is it Shadow, Scotto? All right, <laughs> we'll just go with Scotto <laughs> for now on. Uh, anyway, he's reporting that uh, Charles Cook is not going to be kept on by the Pelicans. He's not going to be introduced to Summer League, and he's not going to be kept on as a two-way player. Of course, he joins Mike James in that distinction, who was left after the deadline in February that prohibited the Pelicans from adding another two-way player in his place. We've got some other names that are joining the team. We don't have all the names official yet, but joining Tony Carr are going to be Trayvon uh, Blewett, He's the second all-time leading scorer at Xavier. He was second team uh, all, whatever the conference was. I don't know, all-American. Sorry, there it is. Uh, six foot five, a lot of, lot of size, a lot of strength. He's 23 years of age. You've got Derek Willis, uh, a big forward from Kentucky. Uh, he played well in the G League last year, but I, I had some some quotes drawn up. On him it's it's in my article I think from last Friday where basically he was just saying he wasn't happy to be there and that's something that uh, team personnel around the NBA are not going to want to hear so I have to believe he's not gonna gonna make the Pelicans roster. I, I, I wouldn't expect them to take a flyer on him. Then you've got Bryant McIntosh a uh, distributing point guard. He's six foot three, 24 years of age. he holds pretty much all the assist records for Northwestern uh, most in a game, most in a season and most in his career. You've also got Walt Lemon Jr., who scored, I want to say, 17 points in 35 total minutes. His best game was a seven-point 7, uh, seven point scoring performance against the Wizards. You've got DJ Hogg, who's the the dark horse here. He's got a lot of size, um, and he has the capability to to be a contributor, to be a shooter, to be potentially an eighth or a ninth man. Um According to draft express, he, he lacks physicality and quickness, but he has a really nice shooting touch uh, labeled him. Jonathan Gavoni called him a gifted shooter. So do we have any candidates out of these guys, Ali, you think that could possibly warrant those two way contracts, or do you think they're going to come from other squads? Yeah, I do. First of all, we got to consider that Tony Carr may be in line to uh, get one
1: because getting drafted 51st overall, um, that's kind of right at the border where, you know, we're not even certain he has any chance of a future as being a productive NBA player. So unless he really wows in Summer League, I actually expect him to get one of those two-way contracts. But as far as the guys you mentioned, one guy I do love pressing is Trayvon Blewett. Because um, coming from Cincinnati, I'm very familiar with what goes on with both the University of Cincinnati and Xavier University uh, basketball programs. I, I fall into death ever since David West was there. And, uh, of course, with all the great uh, Nick Van Exel, all the great Cincinnati Bearcat teams. So I watched a good bit of his games. And you know what? I really like this guy because he can shoot and he's got size. And it's it's exactly what the Pelicans need. They need somebody that's a lot more aggressive. And I think that's why, honestly, we've heard some rumors about New Orleans being interested in uh, Rodney Hood. It's simple fact that this guy's not a complete player, just like Trayvon Blue, it not but it's the fact that these guys are aggressive, and that's what the Pelicans kind of need. When you're out there on the court and you've suddenly got either Drew Hollander, Anthony Davis, uh, one of those guys sitting down, you need somebody else to step up. And too often times last year, we you know we saw the offense kind of stall out, not until Nikola Miritich came over and they were kind of better able, Elvin Jensen was better able to stagger the rotations. But in essence, you still want more aggressiveness. And you know what? after seeing Dante Cunningham for years and then Darius Miller came in and sure he he fulfilled all, everybody's expectations, but you still need more. You need a guy who, if he's playing 36 minutes a game to take more than 10 shots when he's such a great three point shooter. And uh, yeah. So anyways, I don't want to say any more <laughs> negative things about Darius, but you need a guy pressing that's got some size, got some length, because the only ones that the Pelicans can, can kind of rely on for that aggressiveness. And that's why we saw each Moore as a starting three is when they went smaller because that's all they had in the roster. So Trayvon it to me, seems like a really good experiment. Um, I saw, Like I said, I saw him light up Cincinnati last year for like 28 points, and I remember him making at least four, five, six threes in that game. And I was just thinking to myself, this guy, along with I- – I love Jacob Evans, by the way, who went to the wars, but since we obviously didn't end up with him, I'm extremely excited to be able to see this guy in Las Vegas because I think he can potentially
0: land one of those two-way contracts. Very cool. Grubb, I don't know how much research you've done on these guys. Uh, DJ Hogg is is the most intriguing prospect. Uh, He... I, I can't remember exactly what my article said, but it's something uh, along the lines of he was being forced to play out of position. Some guy who, who naturally fits closer to the four, maybe a small ball five was forced to play at the three and even in instances at the two and could potentially be a better NBA player than he was at Texas A&M. Uh, do, have you done any research on the rest of these guys? And do you have a favorite going into summer league? Or are you just looking forward to Frank Jackson and check Diallo?
2: Well, I think i think Ali's right, though. right. I, I do think that they're looking for guys who are, have length and have aggressiveness. Those are your your biggest um, outside of Frank and Diallo, who are going to be the centerpieces of the summer league effort. Um, you know, Hogg is, is intriguing with his size and his ability to shoot. Uh, and we know, the, the one thing that we do know is that the college game is very difficult um, as far as transitioning guys to be NBA players. A lot of times you have to look beyond what their system is and what their skill set is um, to, to project. And that's what the NBA draft primarily is now, is a projection draft. So, Hawk is very interesting because the Pelicans are absolutely looking for size. I mean, they have been, they have been open about that. They have not, uh, you know, the guys that they brought in, they tried to get to see if DeAndre Liggins could do something. He really was not an effective enough offensively for them. You know, Darius Miller, like, again, not to pick on Darius, but he became a little too passive. So, you need um, aggression is what this team is about now. It's about keeping that tempo, uh, and controlled aggression. So I think that's what the Pelicans are going to see. And if guys can show that and show consistent effort, uh, those would be your candidates. And I think, you know, Hogg, uh, um, obviously, um, I, I do uh, think Brewitt is, is another guy who could be of interest. And then, yeah, the, the, the young man from Northwestern, um, anytime you have a pure point and you don't have guys available to you, I know the Pelicans have liked to shop for veterans at that position uh, primarily. But they need to have a young, pure point, distributor just to have around so if he can separate himself that would be um, a good uh, development i
1: think for the team ali hey, with one sorry, thing i ahead. want to add the guy from northwestern have you guys noticed that dealt Demps? i think over the last now it's three summer leagues has had at least one northwestern guy on his roster let's not forget that he had his son go there right so he graduated That's true. So i think he's showing a little bit of loyalty to that program by giving somebody an opportunity that they may not otherwise have and, um, so I'm not holding out too much hope, you know, of course I'm, I don't know anything about him. He may be a great player. Uh, he, right. and he's deserving of recognition in the last two years, but I just wanted to make that point. And the other thing, real quick, press. I want you to talk a little bit about DJ Hawk because I think you've probably analyzed, um, him the most. I haven't yet looked and I really didn't follow him at all during this past college season, but everybody has been, like you've been saying, c- kind of call him a sleeper to make a roster and everybody was shocked he didn't get drafted. So can you explain what is so, you know, special about this
0: guy? Yeah. Let me, let me pull up my article uh, right now. I'm just going to kind of kill some time while I find (laughs) the direct quotes, but uh, (laughs) after we talk about this, I'm going to transition what, what the Pelicans are are so crippled financially with the situation they find themselves in. uh, It's going to be so important that these guys are able to contribute guys like Frank Jackson, guys like check Diallo. It's unfortunate. We're not going to get to see check Diallo go up against some of the, the higher prospects in the draft, uh, like the Jaron Jackson, the, the Deandre Ayton's the Marvin Bagley's because I would really like to see if he can use like kind of, I mean, he's a third year veteran at this point. I would really like to see what he can do against those guys and whether he can take the next step in his game. And Frank Jackson, and of course we haven't seen anything from him here. I've got my notes on DJ hog, Uh, really intriguing guy. The, the typical three and D wing uh, the size and the shooting stroke, as I mentioned, this uh, a knockdown shooter from the perimeter and he gives you the size that you need his coach, Billy Kennedy. He claimed that the swingman is capable of playing the two. So I, I don't know a lot about Billy Kennedy, but some of the stuff from Jonathan Gavoni on draft express was how critical he was of Kennedy for putting him at that position but he said that he thought that 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 Hog could could play all three positions, the two, three and the four. And he really credited him as a perimeter defender. Uh, he he had he had the quickness to chase these guys out on the perimeter, not necessarily the size uh, in, in terms of mass, obviously six foot nine and a deep wingspan. He he can get in front of and close off those lanes. But in terms of physical size, it's not all there yet. And that's something that's going to build. I think he's 20 years of age, but it was really the off court actions that kept him from earning a draft night phone call. He was suspended on two separate occasions last year. So the Pelicans are taking a flyer draft express called him a mid second round uh, selection. And, and he's somebody who has the tools and the size to really make a, a niche for himself in the NBA. And he fits exactly what the Pelicans need. If he can play up to his potential because they keep like Grubb was uh, saying, putting Darius Miller and Solomon Hill at those positions at the four, Nico Meritic and Anthony uh, Davis playing heavy minutes there and then putting check Diallo at the four. I thought Diallo was a bit more effective at the four than he was at the five, but the vision probably has to have Diallo playing the five going forward. Uh, but but getting back to what I was saying, Ali, just in regards to how important Summer League is for the Pelicans and how important their farm system has to become with just how strapped they are against the cap, specifically when they bring back DeMarcus Cousins, how how close to the apron they're going to be. How important is it that not only Frank Jackson and Cech Diallo kind of show out while we're there, but some of these other guys like Hogg and like Blewett really, I don't know, separate themselves from the other guys they're playing against.
1: I think it's enormous because it's high time that some of the young guys that they've kind of focused um, either some energies, attention towards start panning out. Um, Diallo, as as you mentioned, he's going to be on his third summer league, um, and that's kind of unheard of for players, especially ones that kind of become regular to good rotation players. So I know he's young and he doesn't have a lot of basketball in his background uh, before coming to New Orleans, before uh, coming to the NBA, but. You want to start seeing it translate into some minutes, likewise with anybody else. Uh, I think there's a lot riding on Frank Jackson because I think he's going to be asked to fill in the shoes of Ian Clark, who I, I just don't see any way how the Pelicans are going to be able to bring him back, let alone be able to afford it, you know, on the roster. So yeah, Preston, I think it's high time that, you know, the scouting department uh, combined with the uh, development by the coaches, some, some, somebody needs to come out to where the Pelicans can rely on a couple of rotation guys that are that, that don't cost hardly anything on the roster because that's that's how you're successful in today's NBA. You can't pay or fill out a roster with nothing but big bucks. Uh, but the rosters that do the best, you you notice they have that great mix where they've got the stars, but they've also got young talent they can rely on. It's it's like I said, it's been a long time since New Orleans has had this happen um, where it's worked out. And Alvin Gentry's got somebody he can utilize and trust. I mean, that's the biggest thing. We saw Dial have his moments, but you know what? Gentry just never seemed to trust him. And then sooner or later, he he was proven right as to why. So, yeah, Preston, you want to see these guys not just dominate uh, the summer league, because guess what you and I talked about when we kicked off the podcast, how Quinn Cook and Shaq Diala, boy, they were putting up some numbers. You remember that? So we need it more. We need not just the numbers. We need to see them take that next step to where uh, the Pelicans show the confidence in these guys. And you suddenly look at the rest of the roster and like, okay, hey, They're going to be able to depend on and not see, say, uh, the Pelicans waving Quinn Cook and then, you know, signing Jordan Crawford, which turned into Jameer Nelson. You don't want to
0: see that route taken anymore. All right, and that's a nice transition for us because uh, Quinn Cook was was somebody that the Pelicans could use at this at this juncture, needing uh, a, an attacking scoring guard and point guard guy who can facilitate as well as create for himself. And that prompts us to the next question from Cody, and I'm going to murder this Hoosers. I'm hoping it's it's something around that, but if Frank Jackson doesn't pan out. Uh, Grub, this is for you. Alfred Payton was renounced by the, the Suns today. They did not pick up his option, so he's no longer restricted free agent. He is now completely unrestricted and available. He says, is Alfred Payton uh, a possibility if Rondo ends up leaving? Obviously, none of us think that Rondo is leaving. He says, maybe a backup if he's somehow cheap enough. What will the market be like for guys like Will Barton and Rodney Hood, and would you use the full MLE on either? Let's start, Grubb, with Alfred Payton.
2: I don't think Alfred Payton's an option at all.
0: I don't think the Pelicans are looking at him because they they've seen him, and,
2: and and I think that you know they they look at him as a guy who's not disciplined, who does not shoot the ball well, who turns the ball over. You know, he has some athletic ability, obviously, and he has some defensive ability, but he's not been consistent at any point in his career. And for them to 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 bet on him, I think you know, and put him into the mix on a team that will be having enough other things that you're trying to to figure out. Alfred Payton's too unpredictable to bring into that. So I, I don't even think he's something that they're someone that they're considering. Now you talk about Rodney Hood. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we've spent a lot of time this year talking about the possibility of a player like Rodney Hood, or if not him in particular, coming to New Orleans. Um, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you look at a guy who's shown the ability to score the basketball, who has size at the wing? Those are two skills that you're looking, looking for. So even you can cover, we we know that the Pelicans are able to adapt defensively to cover for less than ideal defenders. Uh, so Rodney hood, even if he's not the greatest defender in the world, I think that they can put him in position to be successful if they, if the price were right. And I would say, uh, I'm sorry, the other name you gave me.
0: Uh, Will Barton. Will Barton.
2: I, I think, he, I don't think the Pelicans are in his price range. Um, I think he's going to command a very good salary. He's a player whose numbers have steadily increased. He's got a lot of talent, a lot of bounce um, athletically. He could shoot the ball from deep. I just don't think the Pelicans have money to, to, to be able to bring him in.
0: Now, Ali, uh, if we don't talk about Alfred Payton, and obviously, like Grubb said, we're probably going to spend the bulk of our mid-level exception on Rajon Rondo, kind of taking us out of the running for guys like Rodney Hood and Will Barton. But should that be the case, the Pelicans could target a second facilitator in somebody like uh, Thomas Sadoransky, who's been kind of played out of the rotation by Ty Lawson, as well as Tim Frazier. And now they've they've, uh, acquired Troy Brown and Austin Rivers, who can kind of facilitate a little bit. So, too, the Los Angeles Clippers are are loaded at guard with Avery Bradley, Patrick Beverly. Obviously, Avery Bradley is an unrestricted free agent, but their two first-round picks are both in the backcourt. They're they're really high on Ty Wallace and Sendarius Thornwell. And there's a third guy that I'm forgetting. But any anyway, Mios Teodosic and Thomas Sanransky are very readily available. And all it would probably need to pry them away from their teams is taking back some bad salary, whether it be like Jody Meeks or Jason Smith, I'd have to look through the Clippers uh, cap sheet to see who they would want to unload. But is that something you would explore at this point, Ali? No, I don't think the Pelicans will either. I think having a backup ball handler
1: behind Rondo and holiday is so far down the list. Um, And we've talked about this throughout last season. Even I remember at the trade deadline, we were even talking with David about it. Um, No, I don't see any kind of, um let's say assets going towards bringing in a backup um alfred payton any kind of free agents are definitely not on the list and even trading for a guy doesn't make much sense to me either um as we saw what was necessary last season was more rebounding you need a little bit more girth but obviously you want as many wings as you can get that are aggressive that are multi-talented that are versatile and i think that's going to be solely the pelicans focus and you know what we don't have hardly any money really to to throw at people and you've got to get lucky hopefully with a trade exception or two. Um, And of course utilizing, hopefully having some exception money left once we're done with the Rajon Rondo deal. So no press. I mean, I would love to talk about bringing in like a guy like Milos Teodosic,
0: but I I just don't see it happening. Not in this world. And the other guy I was uh, forgetting is CJ Williams. Uh, He's they, they unearthed a a bunch of second round picks and undrafted free agents that played really well for them uh, despite their, their bad luck of, of injury luck, I should say. It's going really (laughs) well for me. Uh, Waka Waka Wakanda (laughs) has another question. He says, what are you guys looking forward to the most on your hangover trip to Vegas, Ali? I'm just going to love hanging out with you guys, and I wish David was coming
1: too. Because two years ago, I went out there by myself, didn't know what to expect, and I had one of the best times of my life. You know, I got to meet a lot of great people, uh, not just associated with SB Nation, but across the board. You know, I made some very meaningful contacts And, you know, everybody all there for the same reason to have a good time and to watch some summer league basketball where you don't get too serious about anything. But you just you're in Vegas. So you have fun with that backdrop. Um, Yeah, that's about it for me.
0: All right, Grub, And we've got a question from Kevin Berrios, my arch nemesis and enemy of this (laughs) podcast. He says, Preston, I'm on vacation. I can't pod. Here's my question. Who are you getting to replace me? Thomas Sadaransky's mom, Kylo Quinn's agent, Rodney Hood's favorite T-shirt. Or Daryl Arthur, and of course we've got Grub here. I also have sitting next to me a paper towel, and you know what this paper towel hasn't done yet on this podcast? Trade Etwan more. So he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Grub did a fantastic job for us yet again. Always uh, available when we need him. Of course, we really appreciate that, and I know that. Well, Sorry, um, I don't think we need to thank him anymore. He's literally one of us. So I know we're just gonna have to add his name. I don't know if that's uh, a to good the banner. or a bad thing. Oh. <laughs> Well said, sir. That's all the time we have yes. today, you guys. Uh, well, I was going to
2: just say, you know, like the old uh, the the line from Groucho Marks, I, I would never be a member of a club who would be willing to have me as a member.
0: Oh, well said. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you're not welcome is is my best <laughs> retort to that. <laughs> all right, you guys, that's it. Uh, this has been the Bird Calls. Again, you can check out my article on why Boogie may need to remain patient in free agency. Some stuff about LeBron James, as well as my write-up on the Pelicans' Summer League editions. It's got a, a pretty good snippet on all the guys that you should be able to see. It's going to be uh, nationally televised on ESB, ESPNU and NBA TV. So you should be able to see... All three games, and we'll see how far they make it into the tournament. And maybe you'll see Kevin Ali and I sitting in the stands. Scrub, you had a really nice article on Preston City Sports documenting Ad's Hall of Fame career to this point. What else are you working on, sir?
2: Um, yeah, now it's the, the we're turning our attention to free agency and summer league. So I'll be you know seeing what the start of uh, free agency looks like this weekend, and then once the full summer league uh, rosters ready to go, we'll start analyzing that and talking about especially. Frank and Diallo's and and what the organization probably should be looking for
1: for them this summer.
0: Ali, along with swirling rumors, what else are you up to?
1: (laughs) 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 I'm going to try and find a free agent tonight to write about because I think, as David just said on the podcast, Will Barton's all but a dream. You know, you've got people with money chasing him, Phoenix, Indiana Pacers. So it's time to find a little more realistic dream, of course, and that's going to be totally dependent on Rajon Ronda soaking up the MLE. So I still want to pick out a free agent before free agency hits for uh, my pick, who the Pelicans should chase.
0: Very nice. Thank you guys for listening. Of course, you can follow them at Ali Cosell and at DM Grub. And of course, he also writes at CrescentCitySports.com. And of course, Ali and I write at TheBirdWrites.com, where Ali serves as editor-in-chief. For all of you who have made it this far, thanks so much for listening. Uh, We really appreciate it. We appreciate all the questions. Gosh, uh, so much the, the, the offseason never stops, I guess, or, or basketball never stops regardless of what point in the year you're at. It's just becoming more and more exciting and more and more thrilling as we get closer to the July 1st date. This player option date on Friday is going to be another uh, exciting benchmark in its own right so thank you again for sticking with us if you can do us one more favor if you haven't rated the podcast please do do so on itunes we're also on stitcher alexa google play TuneIn, uh podbean anywhere podcasts are found and please retweet this episode that's the best way to get this out to the masses and make other people aware of our pod for now i'm preston ellis you have been listening to the bird calls and yeah let's go pals We hope you've enjoyed listening to The Bird Calls on OTG and Nothing But Nut here on Dash Radio. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Sup, Rumi. Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later.
1: The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.